Hello and welcome back to the second episode of the Partnership Podcast. It's your host Monica Lee and it's great to be back talking to you all and giving you all more information about what to expect from the Partnership Plan. In this episode, the element of the Partnership Plan we're going to be looking at is the Partner Plan. It is super confusing, I know, and so easy to kind of mix the two. But to break it down, the partner plan is the missing but critical piece of the partnership plan. It's about what it feels like to work here and what makes employment in a co-owned business different. So the partnership have done some extensive research, which is what we love to hear. um, And they've identified some key things employees need in a modern workplace. And it's around these needs that we're organising our work. So, for example, an inclusive workplace, gaining knowledge and having a voice, being rewarded fairly, gaining skills and progressing, clear goals and performance management, easy HR policies, systems and processes, and so much more. Our guest, John Vary, who's a futurologist, futurologist, let me just tell you this, okay, I proper just learned this new terminology today. I did not have a clue what a futurologist is, but don't worry, John will delve into that and give you more info. And we've also got Catherine Murden, who's a director of People Transformation. So they'll be discussing what the partner plan looks like by focusing on what makes being a partner distinctive and how that connects to the commercial success of our business. The partner plan will bridge the gap from where we believe we are now to where we need to be. And the work is underway and will definitely be completed by the end of March. So within this episode, you'll hear about the first stages of how they're going to roll out this partner plan. So stay tuned because I'm telling you, it is some real good information up in here. Hello, everyone. My name is John Vary, and I am a futurologist here within the John Lewis Partnership. Very excited to be hosting um, the episode of the sorry this episode of the partnership podcast today. And hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Muirden. I'm the director of the People Transformation within the People Function, and John and I are here to talk today about the Partner Plan. But I think that's probably an important question I should ask at the start, John. What exactly is a futurologist? It's a really interesting question. It's one I get asked quite a bit, and it's one I really struggle with most of the time because no two days are ever the same. And I guess being a futurologist outside of the partnership, my role will be to attend conferences, give presentations around the future and what have you. But internally in the partnership, my role is slightly different where I get required asked to come and attend different meetings different projects to I suppose bring a different perspective on what the future might be and how that type of thinking can be injected into projects which are based in the here and now so I suppose in a nutshell it's to make the reality more malleable for the people I I work with. Right so you might be talking about the future for customers or the future for employers or employees um, you look at it from different perspectives, right? Yeah, from so many different perspectives. I try to stay away from, I suppose, the the tactical, the traditional elements that we see in and around us in the here and now 
and instead try to look at the, the more, I suppose, broader behavioral shifts that we could see down the line. And then you could start to look at what are the shifts within those systems. So very much in political, technological, societal, environmental, let's say. Right. Wow. So really broad stuff. And that is probably why you've been so critical to the partner plan itself. And uh, I guess I should come on to tell people what the partner plan is in, in that instance. Um, what is it really? It's the missing but very critical piece of the partnership plan itself. And uh, in other organisations, we might call it the people plan. And in some respects, it is a bit broader than just partners because it's about how prospective partners might look at the organization and imagine what it's like to work here so the partner plan is about what it feels to like to what it feels like to work here and what makes employment in a co-owned business different um, and as part of our kind of discovery phase that we've been through we've identified haven't we some of the key things that employees need in a modern workplace in, in any modern workplace and it's around these needs that we've organized our work so things like um, having an inclusive workplace or gaining knowledge having a voice being rewarded fairly obviously um, gaining skills getting on in the place having clear goals and performance management the sort of things that make life easier for you as well when you're working somewhere so easy hr policies and systems and processes um but probably importantly as well very importantly we would see that feeling safe wherever you're working and having a sense of well-being that your well-being is considered and looked after is important but i suppose if i was kind of rounding up what the feeling is about how to 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 live and work in an organization because we do spend a lot of our working life you know a lot of our lives you know in where we work in our workplaces it would fill one with a sense of being led by somebody who's great you know a brilliant leader uh, that creates a great culture and sort of summer in summary basically a kind of feeling of pride feeling a sense of pride in the place that you work in and somewhere that you want to tell your friends about as well so, um, but you helped us on the journey to find out more about the needs, John. What what did the needs of employ employees really tell us? What did the needs tell us? Well, during that process, I mean, it's probably the most exciting part for me. It was our opportunity to really focus and obsess on the human element of what we were trying to create. Um, but to get us to that stage, our approach started with us looking externally as well as internally to collate as much stimulus as possible. Now, externally, this was made up of research papers, articles, interviews, trend reports, and speculative views of the future. We then started our reading so that we could really start getting under the surface of this insight, really starting to notice interesting and peculiar signals that would help us both formulate an external perspective on the future of work. We were then able to distill these, these interesting and weak signals into some very interesting themes such as de-urbanization, emerging generations, the creativity void to name but a few. We then use these signals, these themes to help us identify five key trends and these trends were one, so multi-generational workforce for the first time in modern history there are four generations in the workforce, baby boomers, generation x, millennials and the first of generation z. 
Two, global citizens. Radical transparency made possible by a connected world means people care more about global issues and expect companies to act. Three, new skills and automation. Technology will permeate all aspects of the workplace, and as a result, the nature of work will change. Four, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Modern, progressive employment practices are transforming employee expectations at work. And five, COVID worsening inequalities. The impact of the coronavirus crisis is not only being felt equally across the, the magnifying existing inequalities. On our journey, we discovered some fascinating insight, didn't we, Catherine? Yeah, we sure did. Uh, I think that when you start to amass information about the way that other companies do things or other kind of corporate cultures manage things, there are some real standouts. And one of the things that stood out for me, John, was there was an employee handbook that we came across. It was from a US-based gaming company. It wasn't actually mm -hmm. a very new gaming company in their terms. I think it had been in existence for about 20 years. It's called Valve. And uh, if, if you're listening in, have a look at the Valve Employee Handbook and compare and contrast it, if you like, to, to the Partnership Handbook. But one, one extract that really stood out for me was, was the opening statement on the Employee Handbook. And it said on the front page, a fearless adventure in knowing what to do when no one's there telling you what to do. Um, and uh, I, I loved that that was such a reflection. Obviously, once you delved into the handbook, it was, you really got a sense of what it was like to work in the organization. There's a lot of flat structures, a lot of freedom of movement, uh, metaphorically and literally, um, with mobile desks and things like that. But um, there was a sense that People were, were trusted to get on with things and there wasn't always someone there telling you what to do. Um, yeah, so that was an interesting one for me. What about you? Yeah, I mean, fascinating reading. It really was. And one bit, and, and there was many bits that stood out to me, was under the heading, what if I screw up? Yeah. It went along the lines of nobody has ever been fired at Valve for making a mistake. It wouldn't make sense for us to operate that way. Providing the freedom to fail is an important trait of the company. We couldn't expect so much of individuals if we also penalise people for errors. Mm -hmm. Even expensive mistakes or ones which result in a very public failure are genuinely looked at as opportunities to learn. We can always repair the mistake or make up for it. Screwing up is a great way to find out that your assumptions were wrong or that your model of the world was a little bit off. As long as you update your model and move forward with a better picture, you're doing it right. I really love that. Yeah, it's just awesome. I mean, I, as I look back on our thinking and working out, one of the key successes is that we've continued to obsess over the type of language that we use in what we say and what we do on the partner plan. And, and I'm really keen that we take every opportunity to humanize what we create so as to include as many partners as possible on shaping and delivering the partner plan. It's definitely an art. I mean, composing words that, that are so easy to understand, yet still capturing the full essence and importance of the story you are trying to tell. So, yeah, so yeah. Hard. yeah, I completely agree. And, and listen, speaking of words, we've received so many answers to the first question that we posted on the partner plan intranet hub, um, at, which has been fantastic. I think there were... 
oh, there's like over a hundred even after the first couple of days. Are, are there any comments? I mean, there's lots that there, there's one or two that I responded to. I read them all, but are there any John that has have stood out for you? Yeah, I, I, I'd echo what you just said. I mean, the answers and submissions and, and all of the content we've seen has been fantastic. I read one late last night, actually, which kind of really stuck with me um, on a number of different different levels. Um, and it was in relation to the to the latest question around people manager. Um, it really stuck with me. It was about the importance of, of managers acknowledging partners when they're in work. It got me really reflecting on on the need to feel something, which I suppose goes back to our our obsession over the human needs and and this essence of a human connection in the workplace. It got me thinking about kindness. It got me thinking about how important you know kindness is in in my life. Um, what about you, Catherine? What did you you notice in in the questions? Oh, listen, that the, the kindness aspect of kindness, I suppose, really resonates for me, particularly during the last year when that sense of well being and looking after one another looking out for one another has been so critical to success i thought i thought there were some really great great responses and he, this is one that stood out to me i'll just sort of refer to my notes here want what i want autonomy trust listening what i don't want is being treated in a parental way uh, so we've had some really succinct Yes, please. No, thanks. We've had people saying, "I agree. I disagree. We want more. We want more of that." And we're really grateful for every response. So, if you're listening in and you've posted something, thank you. We read all the posts. Um, and as we come to the end of this podcast, there's a call to action for each and every partner. Therefore, so we do want you to collaborate with us. We do want you to help us ensure that we've included voices from all areas of the partnership. And we've included in our work some of the leaders of the network groups. We've created a small group of uh, young young people. We're going to call, I'm going to call them young people um, uh, who will give us their perspective from that intergenerational point of view. So please connect with us via the Partner Plan inter Internet Hub. Uh, in this podcast, we've covered the early stages of the diagnostic phase, that kind of discovery phase and what we noticed. We'll be hosting a second podcast at the end of March and we'll use that to talk about the next stage of the partner plan. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed the discussion and now have a clearer understanding of how the first stage of the Partner Plan will roll out. For more information, feel free to check out the Partner Plan on the internet. And I'll be back next week, same time, same place, with another exciting, insightful episode talking everything to do with the Partnership Plan. Have a great week and I can't wait to give you more info for them.